Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. So we're going to kick off a, uh, a new series today um, called Rebel Joy, and uh, we're going to just walk from a 30,000-foot view through the book of Philippians, just taking uh, one verse or one passage per chapter. And um, each message is going to be a bit more condensed. Uh, for those of you that are, are newer to church, um, probably my primary function um, is to teach the Word of God. And so that does not lend itself to brevity most times. And, uh, but I will be disciplined for this sermon series, and I will be brief. Uh, because we really feel like for the next four weeks or so, um, God just wants to make some more room in our gatherings, just for ministry and prayer. And uh, so Dylan Shimako is going to be leading us through that portion of the service when we get there. And I'm uh, so excited for that. But right now, let's go in our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, if you didn't bring a Bible, um, maybe bring it next week. And if you didn't bring it this week, that's okay. We've got a big digital version right behind me on the screen. And um, we're just going to read one verse today, Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verse 21. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to uh, the church in the Roman colony of Philippi uh, in the region of Macedonia, uh, kind of modern-day uh, Europe. And uh, Paul is writing this letter while he's in prison, which is important information as you read this letter. And I would encourage you this week just to go read over the book of Philippians and just pull out. Paul's focus on the subject of joy um, and gratitude that he has to the Lord despite his circumstance. And uh, it's rebellious joy. Christian joy is typically rebellious joy because it's joy that doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. And that's the kind of joy that you and I ought to have as followers of Jesus. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll just stop right there. That'll be enough for us today to uh, unpack a little bit. I, I called this message, It's All Joy. So maybe write that down in case you need to remind yourself this week that it's all joy. Let me begin with a quote from Gordon Fee, who is a theologian. He says, In every truly Christian life, the most obvious evidence of the experience of God's grace and peace is gratitude and joy. In every truly Christian life, the most obvious evidence for actually being a Christian is gratitude and joy. His point is that uh, in the Christian experience, joy should be a regular occurrence, that you and I should be typically joyful people, <clears throat> that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we should actually default to joy. in all circumstances and situations. It is the most basic evidence. Now, true Christian joy is, in a sense, I would say, almost always rebellious because typically it involves the loss of something for the sake of gaining Christ and gaining the kingdom of Christ. And understand, I'm going to use that phrase, gaining Jesus in the kingdom, a lot in this message. I do not mean in the sense of salvation. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not a matter of works. And so I'm not talking about earning your salvation today. I'm talking about choices that you and I make to draw near to Jesus. 
and choices that you and I make to invite the kingdom of God into our own, own lives and into our church experience. And in that is joy, but that joy, that experience is typically only accessed on the other side of sacrifice. And Paul is talking about that here in Philippians. He's in jail, probably in Rome, and he is rejoicing, which means he is choosing to be joyful because he understands that in his loss is the gaining of Christ, is the experience of Christ, meeting him in his time of need. Uh, even, or even, I should say, maybe especially if the loss includes the loss of life. That's why Paul says to die is actually gain. I'll be doing better. In fact, Paul says it like this. He says, it's better for you if I stay. But if I had it my way, <laughs> I would go and be with the Lord. So in death, for the Christian is the ultimate experience of joy. Which means that joy in the life of a believer is, is a prototype. And just like every prototype foreshadows the functionality and the mechanics of the final product, so also joy in the life of a believer should foreshadow the, the joy that happens in the death of a believer. So that joy in life is never actually disconnected from loss. If it speaks prophetically of the loss of life for the gaining of being reunified with Jesus. This is pretty good stuff so far. <laughs> so that's not to say that Christians don't find or shouldn't find joy in just the blessing of God's grace that brings about beautiful outcomes in life. In other words, it's not that we shouldn't find joy in things that seemingly have no loss uh, in connection to them. But my challenge there would be just for us to reconsider grace. Because what is grace if not the letting go of an attitude of entitlement or an attitude of self-earned qualification for God's blessing and the recognition of the truth that a person cannot receive even one thing if it is not given to them from God in heaven? John the Baptist said that. I didn't make it up. Or maybe it was Jesus in response to John. I can't remember. It's in the book of John which is a different John than John the Baptist. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> so all of life is all grace. And therefore, Christian joy is always found in letting go and throwing ourselves in dependence upon the Lord. So the suggestion today is not that uh, you need to live a life of intense suffering all the time in order to experience joy. My suggestion, though, is that you can never have true joy apart from losing certain things. And sometimes it's even just losing what feels like a small thing. Like maybe it's losing your, your perceived right to hold on to unforgiveness. Maybe it's losing your perceived right to seek vengeance, to get revenge on somebody. Maybe it's resisting the opportunity to gratify your flesh when that, that fleshly gratification goes against the word of God. Uh, maybe it's letting go of the tithe, like we talked about the last few weeks in that generation series. That can feel like loss, right? But on the other side of loss, there's an experience of great, Joy. Maybe it's, maybe it's setting, this is something that God's been speaking to me about recently. Maybe it's setting aside more time than feels appropriate to your mind 
for seeking God in prayer and in fasting. When it feels like you could be productive doing, here's one, maybe it means coming to church on Sunday instead of working. Because it feels like a loss. But that is the Christian life. God first. And on the other side of every loss, I will go on record, every loss that you choose for the sake of gaining Christ will always produce joy in your world and in the world of the people who are connected to you. That was an intense door close. We should put like a little rubber thing on there or something. Yeah, thank you. Because the Christian life is a life of a million little sacrifices, that means that the Christian life is a life of overflowing joy. So that joy should always be a part of the Christian experience because sacrifice is pretty much always a part of the Christian experience. And for any believer to run from sacrifice, either sacrifice that God commands in his word or maybe sacrifice that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your relationship with him, for any Christian to run from sacrifice is for that same Christian to run from joy. Because they can't be disconnected from one another. And yet obviously God's designs for your life are not that you would run from your race, but that you would run in your race. And that you would experience the abiding, albeit rebellious, joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Beginning, middle, and end of your journey should be characterized by degrees of joy in following Jesus. So from like the moment you begin following him throughout the course of your journey with him until the day that you breathe your last breath or Christ returns for his church, all of that should be punctuated by joy. I was reminded this week of Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, everybody say joy. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. With joy, he sells everything that belongs to him so that he can buy one thing, which is the field containing the treasure, which is symbolic of God's kingdom. And this is obviously a rebellious type of joy. And played out in our actual lives that is rebellious because following Jesus oftentimes mean, means laying down things that the world says you need to be happy. Whether that's your self-proclaimed identity, uh, your sin, being your own master, self-servitude. Jesus says, let it go and embrace me. And the world says, how could you possibly find joy in that? In fact, according to the world's paradigm, choosing to follow, follow Jesus should be the least joyful of all experiences. It should be an occasion for mourning, second-guessing, and problematizing. Yet Jesus said he sells everything he has just to gain the kingdom of God. And he does it not begrudgingly, but he does it with joy. It's the beginning of our journey. Like it makes me think about just kind of like, you know, the run-of-the-mill, like, altar call. Like where it gets kind of somber and a little bit moody and now it's time to choose to follow Jesus and it's like a little bit heavy. And you know, maybe those, those feelings have their moment, their place with repentance and, and considering the weight of our sin and, and what Jesus went through on the cross to, to set us free. I get all that. But also, it is a moment of incredible joy as every shackle and chain is loose from the person's life and they go from slavery into freedom and they receive the inheritance of God's kingdom. 
It's not just how you begin, it's how you continue. I think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And then he says this amazing statement, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what Paul is letting us know is that the joy of the Holy Spirit is on the other side of you crucifying yourself. Belonging not to you, but belonging to Jesus. And that produces not just your joy, it actually produces the joy of the Holy Spirit because every time you choose Jesus over any other thing, the Holy Spirit rejoices on the inside of you. And that bubbles up as your own joy. And it is a, it's a tangible joy, by the way. Like Christian joy is not some secret reality hidden beneath layers of stoicism. <laughs> I wanted to say something kind of offensive, but I'll, I won't. Some of you need to let your Christianity notify your face. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus was a joyful guy. Little kids wanted to come and hang out with Jesus. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. They are not drawn to grumps. They're, they're just not. They want to be around the grown-ups who play with them and who engage them and who get on their level. There's joy, and kids are drawn to that, and that tells me that Jesus was joyful and that we, even in sacrifice and cost, should be discovering and uncovering a joy that the world knows nothing about and that nobody, not even Satan himself, can take away from you. <clears throat> My wife and I, we lead a, uh, a neighborhood group um, which I highly recommend you get into one of those, by the way. This church, the, like the, the magic sauce of our church is the fact that we're connected throughout the week. And so we lead this group on Sunday afternoons at 4.30 uh, in a park by our house, and we've got all these people from church coming, and we just hang out and talk about life and share a meal, and then we pray for one another um, with intention. And I'll just let you in on a little secret. Uh, Sunday afternoon at 4.30 about the last thing that I feel like doing is that. <clears throat> like sometimes from my perspective, Sunday didn't go all that well. You know, like that's just part of my humanity. Sometimes like, I don't know, you didn't show up, so I didn't feel validated by the amount of people in the room. Or... Is it okay if I be vulnerable? I'm a human too, you know. So maybe come. Okay, so... It's better when you're here. I don't know if you knew that. It's better when you're here. And, and so sometimes I just don't feel like it, but, but I go. And I have yet to have a, a Sunday evening where I leave our group and go, man, that was a waste of time. Every single time I go, I'm so very glad. In fact, just by going, I get joyful. So whatever mood I was in gets like swept away like cobwebs and I discover the joy. Why? Because it's choosing sacrifice. It's choosing costs for the sake of the king and the kingdom, for gaining Christ and gaining the kingdom of God. And every time you choose that, the Holy Spirit smiles. You have the ability for the Holy Spirit 
to put on a smile on the inside of you just by the choices you make to live sacrificially. And that joy bubbles over as joy in your own life. And the cost is always overshadowed by the joy that comes in place of whatever loss occurred. And one last thing I'll say on that, which I think is the most valuable thing we could take away from this message today, is that every time you choose Jesus and let go of something else for the sake of paying a price, what you're actually doing is you are experiencing Jesus as truly precious. And there is no more crucial element to your Christian life than actually experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ as supremely precious and priceless and valuable in your life. And when we are in the habit of not choosing Jesus over whatever else, what happens is we become conditioned, we become conditioned to let every single opportunity to do that pass by us. And so our faith actually doesn't become personal. It's just words on a page. Because we never personally experienced Christ as precious because we never valued him as precious above whatever the, the cost was. So we all become little Smeagles. Jesus is like, I want to be more valuable than the ring. Throw it in the fiery lake of Mordor. I just watched them all with my seven-year-old. It was great. The first time an orc got its head cut off, he goes, he goes, he'd never seen anything. And I forgot that kind of stuff was in there, but it was too little too late. And he goes, uh, did they just cut his head off? <laughs> and it happened so quick. Like, they're, you know, they're quite delicate with it, right? And so I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Five seconds later, whoosh! They did. They cut their head off. Dad winning. So to resist the sacrifice of true Christian living, not only is it to forfeit true joy, it's to go your whole life and never really know Jesus as supremely valuable. And that is a tragedy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, just for the sake of time, I won't read the whole verse, but Peter says, yeah, you haven't seen the Lord. He's speaking to a generation of believers who lived after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven. He says, yet you still rejoice with inexpressible joy and joy that is filled with glory. That is a phrase right there. Joy filled with glory. John Piper points out that joy gets its quality from whatever the object is that you're enjoying. So that if you enjoy something dirty, your joy is dirty. But if you enjoy someone glorious, then you have a joy filled with glory. That's the kind of joy that 
I want to live with, and that's the kind of joy that I want our church to be characterized by. And that is a prophetic way of living, because guess what? It's all going to end with joy. Revelation chapter 19 and 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready, and that is occasion, John the Apostle says, an occasion for rejoicing. Great, great joy, but guess what? Even that moment of joy will come on the other side of loss. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 14 and 15. If, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation of Christ survives, then that person will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So I don't know if you know this, but the coming of the end, when Christ returns for his church, it will be a moment that is marked by loss. I would say that none of us are such good Christians that every single thing we build and collect and amass in this life is purely good and God-glorifying. And therefore, it will be lost in the fire. But you shouldn't worry about that because whatever gets lost in the fire wasn't really producing abiding joy for you anyway. But on the other side of that loss, you will be reunited with Christ. And that joy that comes from reunification with Christ and, and the church coming into unity with him will far outshadow any feeling of loss that you have in the moment. But the point still stands that joy in the life of a believer is, I would say, almost never separated from some feeling of sacrifice, loss, and letting go. That's why I don't mind taking three or four weeks and just teaching you about how to handle your money. For some pastors and some Christians, it's like cringe 101, right? I don't care. Because the thing that has the number one grip on people's lives in this world is sex, money, power. So let's just kill all those demons and let's just allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be first in everything, okay? So here's some application and um, then I'll wrap it up and we'll go into some time of prayer and ministry. So that's the primary point today is just... Being The phrase that Paul uses in Romans is a living sacrifice. Being a living sacrifice unto Jesus. So the question then is, what do we sacrifice and for what outcome? Well, the what that you sacrifice is just whatever. That's why Paul's like, just be a living sacrifice. Whatever's part of your life, put it on the altar. <clears throat> so is it the tithe? Is it, uh, is it your time? I think particularly in the area of discipleship, there is nothing more confronting to being a good disciple maker than the fact that you don't feel like you have enough time. Some of you neighborhood group leaders here, you're struggling right now to call upon somebody to apprentice you and to learn from you and for you to invest in because it's a great time investment for you. But on the other side of your investment of time will be a multiplied disciple, a leader, who can now reproduce what you do So the reach and the growth of the church increases and we advance the mission that Jesus Christ gave us to make disciples of all nations. So it's a cost, but on the other side of that cost is joy. And you will find nothing more fulfilling in your own life than being responsible, than than producing somebody else in the world who takes personal ownership over the advancement of the kingdom of God. So the what is whatever. What you gain on the other side of the sacrifice is the king in the kingdom. And again, I don't mean that salvifically. We could say it like this, that you gain closeness with the king and you, you gain friendship within the kingdom. 
which is, of course, the church. The church should be such a uniquely joyful experience. And the joy of that experience comes on the other side of sacrifice. <clears throat> a lot of times what happens, and I have this conversation a bit with people, is they'll hop from church to church to church, and their conclusion will be that the church never became what they wanted or needed it to be in order for them to have what they deemed their needs were to be met. The problem with that is that we bring in this mentality and attitude that the church ought to mold to meet and to meet whatever my needs are. And so then we wonder why we aren't having that concrete joyful experience and concrete fulfilling experience by being part of the body of Christ and why we seem to be the odd man out in that regard. And beneath the surface, I think what often gets missed is people don't understand that they never actually chose to be sacrificially present. And because they never chose to be sacrificially present, they never experienced the joy of belonging that Jesus Christ actually promised them. And if every believer would have that mentality, you would have some very healthy churches. And we are not perfect here at C3LA, but man, we are striving to be. So that's what you gain. And that is a real concrete thing, to gain Christ and to gain his church. Paul sums it up like this, and I'm all done. In Philippians 1.27, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, listen to these two things, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the standing firm and the striving side by side, that, that speaks of two things. Number one, unity, and number two, purpose. Standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. Now, if we're striving side by side, guess what Christian unity looks like? It looks like shoulder to shoulder, not so much face to face which means that we don't become an insular people solely concerned for the sake of our own well-being. So it's not just unity, it's also purpose. It's this kind of unity. We're striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, which means that we're not just unified with one another. We're also walking in purpose to fulfill the great commission that Jesus has given his church. Now, I don't know if you have any experience with unity or purpose, but if you have, you know that both unity and purpose require a cost from everybody participating. There can be no unity and there can be no collective purpose apart from people laying down their lives and saying we're all in. And when the church does that, they walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is joy that is produced as he looks and sees, wow, there's a church that's after God's own heart to see the city and the place that God has planted them to be reached for the glory of God, for people to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for disciples to be made and multiplied, who walk in the truth of the Scriptures uh, by the power of the Spirit for the sake of God's love, that, that we would be those kinds of people who are existing for the glory of God in all that we do say and think. And in that, in that sacrifice, in that cost, is a joy incomparable to anything that this world could ever offer you. If you receive the word, say a big amen. amen. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. 
If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.